morning. It's already been. Um, you, you know, I think that we've referenced this a handful of times, but um, this October 31st will be 500 years since the Protestant Reformation. And so um, it was so encouraging this morning to sing together as a fellowship, A Mighty Fortress, um, which was a hymn that was um, written by Martin Luther. And so um, we are grateful, man, for the faithfulness of the Lord and the work of the Reformers um, to... Um, yeah, to, to kind of where we are today. Um, so anyway, happy 500 years uh, since the Reformation. So um, we are uh, this morning in Mark chapter 10. If you are new with us or if you haven't been here uh, in some time, uh, we started a series through the Gospel of Mark on January 1st of 2017. Uh, and so we are 10 chapters in. Um, and we're almost a year old, uh, which is exciting. We're getting closer and closer to our, I don't know, I guess it's a birthday, right? It's what it would be. Um, and so uh, we're, we're 10 chapters into Mark, and we are hitting Mark 10, 17 through 31 for the second time. Last week, we got through one point. Um, and so uh, I'm a realist, right? I'm ambitious as well. Uh, and so we had three last week. Um, but I quickly realized we weren't going to make it through all three. And so we're going to, uh, we're going to pick back up um, where we left off last week. If you weren't here last week, don't freak out, okay? Because we're going to reread our passage, um, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time laying some groundwork and looking back at what we saw um, last week as we continue to see um, Christ bringing this good news of a better kingdom, um, citizenship available to sinners through his life and through his death, through his work and through his obedience. Um, we have uh, seen over the past couple of weeks um, this, this, uh, this difficult call of discipleship Right, uh, being a disciple of Jesus, newsflash, right, is um, is hard. It's a it's a hard thing. It's a challenging thing to be a disciple of Jesus because it does not always make for the most comfortable life. In fact, oftentimes, as a result of our following after Christ, we experience difficulty, at least as the world would so define it, right? Now, the good news is, in the midst of the difficulty that we experience as followers of Jesus, because we are his people, that he goes with us. Right, that God is faithful to go with his people, to be with his people in the midst of difficulty and in the midst of, of trial and, and persecution and hardship. That God is with his people. And, and not only is he with us, not only does he sustain us, but he brings us and provides us with great joy in the midst of circumstances that if we were to be totally and wholly of the world would not lead us into joy. Right? But in fact would drive us the opposite direction. We would be um, perhaps miserable right? and, and downcast. Uh, but, but good news, um, Christ is with his people. Uh, he is committed to his work um, in this world and, and in his people. And that is a source of ever-present encouragement for us as we live as pilgrims. One of my favorite, uh, one of, kind of my favorite illustrations for the Christian life is the pilgrim life. Right, the pilgrim life. We are not of this world. That has been a source of encouragement for me uh, in, in many seasons in my life. Right, That we are not home. 
But we are, we are passing through. We're pilgrims. And so um, what, a wonderful, what a wonderful illustration that we're provided to make sense of the Christian life. It is difficult, but it is worth it. It's difficult, but it is worth it. This morning we continue to see this call to surrender to Christ. Right, to surrender to his kingship, to surrender to his lordship, to surrender to Jesus and to possess the kingdom, to enjoy the now and to long for the eternal. God's people can enjoy this life while at the same time longing for the, the fuller life that is to come. It's such incredibly good news. And so we, we go again to Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. I'm going to read verses 17 through 31, which is exactly what we read last week. <laughs> okay? And so we're going back to the beginning, right, of where we were last week. Jesus' conversation with this rich young man and a pronouncement story of God's love for his people to send Jesus and to rescue us from despair and, um, and, and punishment and judgment. And so here we are, uh, beginning in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. This is the word of the Lord. And as he was setting out on his journey, so this is Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, right? Ultimately on his way to the cross, we see that he encounters this man. Right? A man runs up to him and kneels before him and he asks him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And so in light of where we were last week, is, D, is Jesus in verse uh, 18 denying his goodness? Is he denying his deity? No, he's not. Right? That would be extremely confusing if that were in fact the case. But what he is actually doing is, is probing the rich young ruler's understanding of who he is, of who Jesus is. Why are you calling me good? Only God is good. And so is this connection? Are you understanding and recognizing right, my deity? Are you understanding? Are you recognizing that I am in fact God? To which we will find the answer is ultimately no. The answer is ultimately no, at least in this scene as we see it. Verse 19. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all of these things I have kept from my youth. What an incredibly ambitious statement, <laughs> right? And Jesus looked at him. Here it is. Here's this pronouncement in verse 21. And he loved him. And he said to him, in light of his love for him and this, this incredible amount of confusion that exists in his mind and heart as it pertains to his obedience to the law, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And so how would he respond? How would the rich young ruler respond to this call of Christ, a difficult call? Right? Laying aside the things of this world and ultimately running with, with, with unabandonment, right? Like full force and assurance towards Jesus. Verse 22. He's disheartened. And it says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had 
great possessions. The cost had been counted and it was deemed to be too great. Verse 23. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And said to him, then who can be saved? We're going to spend a little bit of time this morning unpacking the statement, the question by the, by the disciples towards Jesus in verse 26. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. Verse 31. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Hey, let's pray together. Father, thank you for um, our time together in your word this morning. We're grateful for this story and the clarity of Jesus and all the things that it has to say to us about how we are to live our lives in submission to you. How you love us and you call us into the possession of eternal life. And you drastically transform the way that we live in the here and the now. We pray as we unpack this passage this morning that you might bring our hearts and our minds into a deeper understanding of who you are, of your character. And that in light of this deeper understanding of your character, that the way that we live in this season might be transformed as we long For the season to come. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. So last week, we explored, began exploring the dialogue between the rich young ruler and Jesus. And the question that found itself central in our time together last week was this. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the question that's being presented, that's being posed from the rich young ruler to to Jesus. And we spent last week the better part of 45 minutes seeking to understand greater the question being asked. And as a result of our time together last week, I I think that we were able to begin wrapping our, our arms around some concessions that are being made by the rich young ruler as he engages in this conversation with Jesus. There are some concessions that are made that we're, it maybe even changes the way that we understand uh, people, right? And the way that we live in light of the things of this world. First, we saw that this man has longings. Right, That the rich young ruler has a, a longing that has gone unfulfilled 
by the things of this world. We see that he's not totally indifferent or apathetic to everything and anything, but he in fact desires something. And so we begin there, the fact that there is a desire, there's something happening. Then we go on to the second. Right, the, the second concession that he is, is willing to make, that we have to be willing to make through his asking. We see, again, that the resources at his disposal have failed to meet the desires that he feels. And so let's take it from the example of the rich young ruler here in Mark chapter 10. In his case, wealth, possession. Right? Everything that he has at his disposal as a result of, like we said last week, what is probably uh, the receiving of an inheritance, that he had received an inheritance. He's a younger guy, right? and yet he is, still has this affluence. He still has this wealth. He has great possession. And so it is likely right, that he received this, uh, this wealth as a result of the passing away of someone in his family close to him, uh, perhaps, who, who left him what he had. And we see in light of this that wealth, while often embraced, both in this context of Mark chapter 10 and our context of 2017, as a blessing from God, can actually be, based on what we see in Mark chapter 10, a hindrance. Right? A, a hindrance in our coming to Him. This was a radical concept. As Jesus is engaging in this conversation with the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. But this is what Jesus has to say in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. Both God and money. Now, for those of us that are in the room this week and that were in the room last week, how does this relate to us if we're sitting here and we go, well, hey, good news, I don't have any, right? Like, I got no money, right? Mo money, mo problems, I must have no problems because I got no green in the pocket, right? And so we ultimately come into to this, that it flows over, what Jesus is talking about here, it flows over into not just, not just monetary possession, but, but health and youthfulness and power and affluence, all of these things, each of these things leaving us unfulfilled and underwhelmed, right? So, so what does that mean? It means that we are left wanting, right? That we are left searching, that we are left longing, that we uh, are seeing and it's observable that the quality of life, the eternal life that we were created for is not found in the things of this world, but Christ himself provides it. Okay, that's the, that's the essence. That's what we're getting to. The quality of life, the eternal life that we desire, because we said last week, this, this issue of eternal life that the rich young rulers asking Jesus about does not pertain entirely to a quality, uh, to a quantity of time, but instead towards a quality of life as well. It's not simply about living forever. Okay, but it's about how well are we living now and on into eternity future. Does that make sense? Right. It's a, it's a quality of life that is left lacking if we are looking for uh, assurance and, and quality entirely in the things of this world. But Christ provides it. You may have heard of, of C.S. Lewis before. Familiar with C.S. Lewis. He wrote a handful of, of really, really amazing, amazing works. And in his classic Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, who is 
um, one of the most important writers of the 20th century, explores the common ground upon which all of those of Christian faith stand together. Lewis says this about an individual's longing for this eternal realm. He says this, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy... Okay, so there's a desire that exists in you and in me that the world is incapable of satisfying, similar to that which we see present in the life of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. Then it is most probable that I was made for another world. Right, and so, so let's, let's say this, let's concede this, that if there is this longing, if there is this desire within us, if we have been left underwhelmed and, and wanting based on the things that we experience in this world, be that power or money or education or youthfulness or relationship. If we are feeling underwhelmed in each one of those areas as though there is still this desire within us that is not being met by those things on the outside, then it points towards, it must point towards this idea that we were created for somewhere else. That we were created for something else. That we were made for another world. Jesus brings us into this other world. Okay, Jesus brings us into this, this reality that is exposed in light of what we see going on in the life of the rich young ruler. That's what we observed last week from Mark 10. And that's as far as we got. And now you know why. Because we spent like 15 minutes just talking about about that. And so, as we pick up this week, following this conversation with the rich young ruler, we see Jesus taking advantage of this opportunity to now teach his followers. And so we move on to point two from last week, and that is this. We see the commitment of God produces a transformed perspective. The commitment of God produces a transformed perspective. Look at what uh, we see recorded in verse 26. The disciples, in light of the teaching of Jesus and this difficult call that we spent all of our time together last week unpacking, say this. They were, they were astonished, and they say to him, then who can be saved? And so we back up for a second. Because the conversation between Jesus and the rich young ruler centered on eternal life. And so based on the questions, the question that's presented by the disciples in verse 26, we see that they make a connection between the eternal life that the rich young ruler asks Jesus about and rescue from sin. Right, that they make a connection between the eternal life that the rich young ruler is asking about and salvation. They had observed the call of Jesus and they ask him, if this is true, if this is the call for us all, then who can receive eternal life? Okay, if this is true, if this is the call for us all, then who can enter the kingdom? Who can be saved? There are three questions there, but they share a common core. And so if you take notes, this would be a really, really stellar thing to write down. The common core of these three questions is this. Who can, who can know? 
Right? Who can know and who can come into a, a right, a new relationship with God? Who can know relationship with God? Who can come into a right and new relationship with God? The question that they're asking is, how in the world can anyone be saved? Because this call that we've just observed you, Jesus, extend to this rich young ruler is impossible. It's too great. It's too hard. How in the world... How in the world do we submit ourselves to this? If this is what it takes to inherit eternal life, if this is what it takes to understand and to realize salvation, then who can do it? To which point we come to verse 27. And this brings us to a a really important and practical point as it relates to Bible reading. In order to understand what Jesus is saying in this passage, we have to understand verse 27. And in order to understand verse 27, and this is so key, in order to understand verse 27, we have to understand verse 27 in the context of Mark chapter 10. Okay, we can't rip verse 27 out of Mark chapter 10, out of context, and make it say something that God is not saying. This passage is not about accomplishing any and every supernatural feat imaginable because, well, God can do it. Right? We're not talking here about leaping tall buildings in single bounds or, or realizing all of our wildest dreams. Right? If I, can, if I can dream it, right, then I can do it. I believe I can fly. You guys know that one? That's not what it's about. Jesus here is teaching his followers about salvation. Jesus here is talking about what it looks like for sinners to experience rescue and to receive eternal life. And along with this eternal life, entrance into this, this new and better kingdom. Jesus says in verse 27, With man, it is impossible. You're right. This call is, is hard. It's difficult. In fact, it is impossible. But... Not with God. He says, for, for all things are possible with God. And so I want us to pause here for a second. Okay, and I want us to consider the character of God. I want us to, I want us to consider... The character of God. What do we know based on God's revelation of himself in his word? What do we know about who God is? Well, here are some things. Okay. God is holy. God is holy. He is is absent of sin. He is perfect in in every way. Isaiah 6, verse 3, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. He is holy. God is holy. He is absent from sin. God is just. Okay, God is a a just God. God is just. Right? He, He possesses righteous. And just anger towards sin. 
Okay, God possesses, because he is holy, right? Because he is absent from sin, because he is just, he possesses righteous and just anger towards sin, our sin. And what we see from the word of scripture is that our sin must be dealt with, that we are all sinners, that we have all sinned and that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And if that is true, then what does that mean? Well, it means that God's righteous and and just anger towards sin finds itself directed ultimately at us because we are sinners. Punishment is certain. And so let's consider the character of God and let us go in and let's seek to wrap our, our arms around these, this series of points, right? As it pertains to salvation, Jesus says what? That we, excuse me, that we cannot save ourselves. As it pertains to salvation, Jesus says that we cannot rescue ourselves. As it pertains to salvation, Jesus says that we cannot cover ourselves. We can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and we can see man's rebellion from God. Followed by a very feeble attempt to cover one's shame and guilt. What do we learn from Genesis chapter 3 in the rebellion of Adam and, and Eve and their response in light of? Right? They seek to, to gather together some leaves and to sow coverings for themselves. An attempt that proved itself to be ultimately unsuccessful because God comes, right? And he engages his rebellious creation in a conversation. And then he kills an animal to make coverings for them. Blood is shed in order to cover their shame and guilt as a result of their nakedness and their eyes being opened to sin, sin's entrance into the world. We cannot cover our shame. We cannot cover our guilt. But God can God God can. And this is the message of Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verse 27. You cannot rescue yourselves. You cannot cover yourselves. You cannot save yourselves. You can't obey the law or work yourself into friendship with God. For you, for I, it is impossible. But what does he say in verse 27? He says that with God, all things are possible. With God and through God, get this, fellowship with God is knowable. That we can know and that we can experience fellowship with God because of who God is and because of what God has set his heart upon. This is the glory and the power of the cross, the cost of our rescue, a holy God and creator entering into his creation and redeeming us. The work of the cross. This is what God does. That which is impossible for humanity, God accomplishes as he brings us into fellowship with himself through the forgiveness of our sins. And so we can say this. 
right? We must be saved to be saved from God. And don't be confused, right? Because God is holy and righteous and just and loving, right? Sin must be dealt with. It must be punished. And so in the work of Christ and in the gospel, right? We see that God is rescuing us from the wrath that we deserve from him due our sin. Does that make sense? Right? God rescues us and, and saves us. He calls us into relationship with himself. Only we must dependently and entirely rely upon him. We must come to him with repentant hearts and empty hands. Right? We must come to him as children. And as we say all the time, this is a work of grace. That the Lord opens our eyes to see our sin, to see our rebellion, to see our need. And then he calls us into the fold. He rescues us from beginning to end. It is an amazing work of grace. We look to him to save us. Right? We look to him to justify us. What does that mean? It means that Christ has at the cross taken our place and he's taken upon himself all of God, holy God, all of his righteous anger towards our rebellion, towards our sinfulness, towards him and towards other people, right? Everything that we see, the whole thing, right? The whole thing of the human condition, one big crazy, crazy mess that God rescues us from. He justifies us. Right? So that we can, we can point to the finished work of Jesus and we can go, yeah, there is no righteousness in me. There is nothing in me that warrants relationship with you but Jesus. Right? But, but Jesus, his life and his sacrifice in my place, in order to accomplish that which we see Jesus affirm in verse 27, is an impossible work for you and I. God saves us, he justifies us, and then he sustains us. And so we look to God not only to justify us, which he does at the cross through Jesus, but we look to his power to sustain us. Right? We, we boast not in our strength, but in the strength of God. You and I, Christians in this room, gathered together under the sound of my voice, it is not our strength that enables perseverance and endurance, but it is the strength of God residing within his people. Does that make sense? And so what do we do? We come back continuously to our need. We confess our need. Lord, keep me. Lord, sustain me. We look to his commitment to sanctify us. And to live a life of discipleship, we know, man, here's the deal. This is such good news for God's people. It doesn't end at justification, but it flows on into sanctification. And we say this about God, who he is and what he's doing, that he is committed to our transformation, that we might be, get this, transformed into the image of his son, that he is moving us progressively from one degree of holiness to the next. That is the commitment of God, right? That he desires transformation in our lives. And then he, he brings us along. All the while before us, we have this promise. We have this promise of, of glorification, right? A day in which God's people will dwell in his presence, absent 
from sin and all of its effects. Does that make sense? And so all of the things that we continue to wrestle with, even as Christians in this life, we, we look forward to a day in which all of those things right, are, are absent from the human experience, that we are existing entirely as God intended us for, uh, for relationship with him and, and, and experience with one another. Right, that we have that before us, that he is committed to that work, to glorify his people. For us, these things, verse 27, are impossible. But God, what, makes these things possible. That's what verse 27 is all about. That's way better than like, than, than those other alternatives, is it not? Like the leaping tall buildings and doing anything and climbing Everest with no oxygen, all the things that you typically find on Christian coffee cups, right, that we want to lose our minds about, right? Man, verse 27 is way better in context, isn't it? And so we, we see this, right? We, we see the commitment of God to produce a transformed perspective. And so if we come in this morning and we come into verse 27 and we go, there is no hope, you're absolutely right in that in and of ourselves there is no hope. But man, verse 27 says, with God, all things are possible, that he can save us, that he can rescue us, that he can redeem us, that he is committed to our sanctification, and that glorification is certain. Which brings us into point three from last week, point two from this week. Hang on to that for a second, right? The reward for the repentant being sure. The reward for the repentant is sure. In verse 28, Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Now, in one sense, this is a bit of an exaggeration. But in another sense, this is totally accurate. The commitment to follow after Christ is a commitment to lay aside the things of this world. And through the work of the Spirit of God, our embrace of grace and a confession of faith, we are saying to this world and the things of this world that Christ is my king. Right? That, that Christ is my king, that he is my Lord, that he has saved me and his word now directs and dictates my decisions and directs me as I, as I live in the power of the Spirit. We display this truth in our lives. We display this leaving, right? This, um, this, this putting aside, this laying of the side, all things. We display this through a public profession of this new faith in Jesus and his work for the forgiveness of our sins through his work. And one way that we do that, that we display these changes to the world is through an ordinance that we're going to practice this morning through the ordinance of baptism to which we say, I am, I am turning from the things of this world and I'm committed to living a life turning from the things of this world and following after Jesus. It's a public profession of that which God is working within his Within his people. Look at verse 29. Jesus said. Truly I say to you. There is, there is no one. Who has left house. Or brothers. Or sisters. Or mother. Or father. Or children. Or lands. For my sake. And for the gospel. Who will not receive. Get this. 
a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus never presents a Christianity that is void of sacrifice. In fact, he does quite the opposite. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, says it like this. He says, the cross is laid on every Christian. Whoa, (laughs) whoa, right? That's what it means to follow after Jesus. That's what it means to follow after Christ. He goes on, the first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. That's what it looks like to live as a Christian. To abandon the attachments of this world and to embrace the beauty of Christ as central in everything that we do, in all that we do. It is the dying of the old man, which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. Right? We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not, get this, this is, oh, this is so good. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. But it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And so for the Christian, there's this death that precedes everything else, right? It's not the end, but it is in fact the beginning, right? It's a a point of ever-present assurance for God's people to look back and to say, yes, it's not I who lives, but it's Christ who now lives within me. He dictates and he directs my steps, I look to him and I submit myself to him. I surrender my life to him as my shepherd and as my Lord and as my king, right? We bow knee to King Jesus, right? We submit ourselves to the call of Christ and the desire of God for his people and their lives here where we see it. Here, as God calls us, man, we seek to live now in obedience to that which our shepherd has to say. Does that make sense? Are we together so far? Are you guys good? Gosh, this is good stuff, man. So, so good. We repent. We believe. We confess. We die to ourselves. And we're raised to newness of life in Christ. Right? We, we lay aside the things of this world knowing that we have been called into relationship with Christ and that we will be repaid in an exponential and unimaginable amount in the kingdom that is to come. Earthly relationships might be lost. That is probably not a reality for many of us within this room, but for our brothers and sisters throughout this globe, it is. There is a loss of earthly relationship that comes along with following after Christ. However, in that, through that, we can rest assured that God will never leave us. 
right? That he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us, but instead remains with us, his people as an ever present source of comfort. That's exactly what Jesus has to say in Matthew 28 as he encourages his disciples and commissions them to go out and live on mission. And so for, from everything, right, from beginning to end, we come back to the, to the work of God in the lives of people. Verse 31, but many who are first will be last and the last first. One commentator had to say it, said it like this. In eternity, all of us who know and serve Jesus Christ will join the church triumphant. That's good because it reminds us that there is no end to the church of Christ, right? That, that it, is, uh, it is constant, that it is pressing forward, and that even as the Bible reminds us, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. That we are moving in a direction in which the destination is certain. Now, get this. In this life, the destination is not always certain, is it? Right? I think we could all probably affirm truths that would speak towards the reality of that statement. But what we do find is that there is a source of eternal comfort that lies before us in this reality, knowing that God is reconciling, that God is bringing his people unto himself, and that there is a day that is coming, right, in which we will reside with him forever in heaven to be loved and lavished by Jesus and to love him in return for eternity. Wow, that's good, right? I love uh, what, what Wayne Grudem, who wrote a systematic theology book that's about as thick as a pillow um, a couple of years ago, um, had to say about what the Christian has to look forward to as we consider, again, this eternal period of time and quality of life that we long for, that we look ahead towards. And he had to say this. He had said this. He said, God's character is so deep and it's, it's so wide. It's so vast that God's people can rest assured, and I'm paraphrasing here, right? Don't think I've got all this memorized. You guys are really impressed, right? That, that we will never, that we will never reach the end of it, right? That we will never reach the bottom of the character of God, that we will never reach the edge of the pool, right? But we will just be in it forever. That it will never grow old. It will not be as though, man, we've walked every square inch of this field and I know where every rock is and I know where every hole is, but we will be constantly and forever growing in an appreciation and a deeper relationship with God as we dwell with him forever. Jesus makes this possible. This is the news of the gospel. That in us, we do not have that to look forward to, that we cannot obtain it, that we cannot achieve it, but God can do it, and he has, and he's accomplished it through the person and the work of Jesus. And so how do we begin to apply? How do we respond to what we see as we finish up week two? Right of this of this section of Mark chapter ten, I think we need to go back and we need to remember this: that all of this relates to a conversation that Jesus is having with a rich, affluent young ruler about eternal life. And we said two weeks ago, it was important that we remember, and we touched on it in the beginning of our time together today, that the wealth that this ruler has acquired is the result of someone else's labors. 
Right, it's the result of, of someone else's work. He has been the recipient of it. I don't have to tell you guys this. You know how this works. What we see through this passage is that Christ provides the better inheritance. Right, that Christ provides the better inheritance. We see, we see the young ruler walk away discouraged with his head down. Because the cost was deemed to be too great. But is it deemed to be too great if we know that the inheritance that is to be obtained through the sacrifice of the things of this world is greater than that which we are laying aside? The answer is no. Right? The answer is, the answer is no. It's, it's not. John Piper had to say this as it relates to this issue. And our futures... So we all relate with what we're about to read right here. He says, you have two possible futures in front of you. One is to inherit the world. The other is to inherit wrath. Whether you inherit the one or the other hangs on one fundamental thing. The righteousness of God. Has it been credited to your account or does it stand as a witness against you? What makes the difference? The difference is whether you trust Christ to cover your sins and to be God's righteousness for you. So trust him. Trust him. Do it right now. Trust him. We see through this portion of Mark chapter 10 that eternal life is a gift that sinners are called into possession of. A gift that we did not earn, but one that was instead purchased through the labors of Christ. And so what do we do? How do we respond? Man, we embrace the better inheritance. Why we, we embrace eternal life, quality, and quantity. There is a possession and there is a benefit now. So don't lose sight of this. Listen to what Jesus has to say in John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Right? Not will have, but has now and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Jesus says life is not something that you wait for after death. It's something that you have now if you are believing in me. But there's also a future reward, right? a, a fuller fruition. John chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus says, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. And so the question then is, what are we raised to? Are we we raised in the likeness of Christ's resurrection? To stand before the Lord in judgment or to enjoy intimacy with him forever? The hope of the gospel is that we can enjoy fellowship with God. That we can enjoy fellowship with God and the hope, the eternal hope of the resurrection because of what Jesus has done. And so is the gospel, is the work of Christ, is it a source of encouragement for you? Or this morning, are we condemned? That's the question. 
That's the question that our hearts have to mull over. And so encouragement, right? Embrace the hope of the gospel. Embrace the truer and the better inheritance. The inheritance that the things of this world fail in comparison to, that rust will not touch and that moth will not eat. That is what we have to look forward to as we live this transformed life in the here and in the now. That is the good news of the gospel, that we can know God and that we can exist in eternal relationship with Him. Thank you.